Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go. Wherever you are, wherever you're traveling, we're so grateful to have you tune in. Today is a special day. We welcome our dear friend and former pastor, Alan Hilton, to lead us in the Word. Uh, Alan will spend uh, this whole weekend with us, this God's Acre 4.0 discernment weekend, where we're taking time as good congregationalists to come together and after uh, two years of pandemic and on the verge of a fourth century of ministry on this hill, we're going to take some time to pray and talk and think and reflect on where we might be called as a congregation, what work we might be called to in the years to come. So uh, I ask that you would prepare yourself for the word that Alan will offer in a moment as we listen to Greer Lyle and Carl Hedrick lead us in an Easter hymn. Oh. 
scripture for the day is the road to Emmaus passage from Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Let's listen together for the word of God. Now on that first Easter day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place here in these days? Jesus asked, What things? They both replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place, and now some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they'd indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, He walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day's now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, and he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven disciples and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is going to sound strange, but I had an Emmaus Road experience myself three days ago as I traveled from Austin, Texas to Connecticut. Unfortunately, it wasn't the good part of that passage. You see, when I boarded my Delta flight to travel from Austin to Hartford at O-Dark 30 in the morning, I found my seat, 10C for those scoring at home. I slipped my bag under the one in front of me, 
and I said a sort of grunted hello to the man in the seat next to me. But he didn't grunt the obligatory hello back. This guy had recognition in his eyes, and he smiled and said, Hello, Alan. Mark Messervy. And he shook my hand. Ouch. You see, here's the thing. I know Mark. I play golf with Mark. I've been on Mark's team in a match. But in an airplane, in jeans and a dress shirt, without a golf hat framing his face, at 5.30 in the morning, I missed it. I didn't recognize him. Maybe that's happened to you. You know someone, but you don't get who they are because you just aren't expecting to see that person in that context. But whatever excuses we might make, it never feels good, does it? So how did our poor pair of anonymous Jesus people on the road to Emmaus not recognize this guy that they'd been following uphill and down, into and out of the synagogue and temple, onto the sea, around the wilderness for three years. How did these guys miss that it was Jesus? And what finally tipped them off? After I blushed and shook hands with Mark and I chatted for a while, I started to muse on what should have clued me in. A very tanned face, says golfer, big athletic hands, a certain look in his eyes. But what finally clued our disciples in? How did they finally catch up to the fact that they were walking partners with the Savior of the world? And in these times of COVID-diminished passions and enthusiasms, as we all come out of the pandemic fog that medical people are calling COVID exhaustion, what is finally going to set our hearts aflame? Friends, these are great post-Easter questions, and they raise a good question about Jesus' words to those disciples on that road. Jesus, as you, as you heard, goes all Moses and the prophets on them, right? He tells all the scriptures and how they relate to him. But frankly, if I were the resurrected one, I would have flashed more recent credentials, if you know what I mean, like that yesterday I was dead and today I'm alive. Isn't that Jesus' ace in the hole? And doesn't he just sound like the nerd who knows more than anybody ever wants to hear? Verse after verse after verse. I'm just saying, strategy. But luckily, Jesus didn't consult me on the strategy. And seriously, I used to teach Bible to graduate students for a living, and I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I wished I could have been on that Emmaus Road with our guys taking copious notes. Luke says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and who wouldn't want a piece of that? Our two guys seem to have eaten it up. Jesus knew that novelty and recency aren't enough. Messiah movements were a dime a dozen in his time. How many of you have seen Monty Python's Life of Brian? It features revolutionary leaders left, right, and everywhere else. It's in keeping with what was actually going on on the ground in Jesus' century. But all these movements seemed to flame out. Jesus and his two walking partners knew that the latest thing isn't always the best thing, and even in an age of the iPhone 13 and the Tesla Model S, you and I know that too. 
the latest fad diet or golf gadget or dance craze usually flames out as well. We live in a time when Ancestry.com can't get product out the door quickly enough to satisfy the curious. Forbes magazine captured this in a piece recently on the top six cultural trends of 2022. Ironically, do you know what one of them was? One of these latest things, these trending items, these new fads, is tradition, a longing for old stuff. Here's how the article put it. Uncertainty has created a strong nostalgia for the good old days and a newfound desire to be rooted in tradition. We humans tell ourselves stories to make sense of the world. Stories make us feel like we have control. They allow people to find meaning where there is chaos. And they're right, isn't it? It's right, isn't it? The past matters to us. Roots matter to us. We want a place from which to launch. Jesus gives that to our two disciples on the Emmaus Road, and he has also offered it to us. I mean, look around. Friends, if you're looking to be a part of something larger and longer than yourself, I have good news. We are gathered this morning in a Christian community that has been around for a long, long time. This church dates to a moment in 1733 when a small group of Puritan farmers decided they needed to branch off from the churches they attended in Fairfield or Westford or Norwalk or Stamford. And now you're creeping up toward your 300th birthday. So start thinking of gifts because there are only 11 shopping years left. And your church also, in a way, traces back to 1629 when the Church of Salem, Massachusetts, decided to pledge their lives to God and one another in the covenant that you all have been speaking together each week for the last month. But your church also dates back further than that to a Puritan movement that started a century before in England around 1530 People who already saw that religion could get a bit too showy and formal and lifeless and decided to try a different way. And that was just a few years after Martin Luther posted his 95 questions on the door of a Wittenberg church in Germany and started what we call the Reformation. But of course there's more. This community dates back to the establishment of the first Christian church in Jerusalem around 30 CE, and if if Jesus is to be to believed in this passage we're talking about today, and Jesus believing is usually a good policy, then we have our roots in the anticipations that Moses launched between 12 and 1400 BC. In other words, we go back, friends, and Jesus knew that going back matters, that history matters, that roots matter when the wind blows and the chaos creeps in. But here's the thing. Jesus also knew that the past isn't going to hold us all by itself. It doesn't quite do simply to have a good history, to be a part of something that has done. We want a community with a future, and it doesn't look so good for us on that front. Look around. Sociologists tell us that we live in the most divided, least trusting, most hopeless, most lonely culture 
in American history and perhaps even in the history of the world. We're, we're divided about all sorts of things. We're lonely because we've let the bands of community, the bonds of community fray and dissolve. We don't trust one another because we suspect and are suspicious of one another. We've got all kinds of things that are driving us apart and making community a quaint thing of the past. We want something that we can bank on that doesn't just give us a place to stand now, but that gives us a place to be, a people to have, a purposeful future. And our Emmaus, guy, our Emmaus Road guys speak their disappointment when Jesus asks what they're all upset about. They tell him, it's about a guy called Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. And can't you picture Jesus just sort of trying to hold back a chuckle as Jesus listens to them talk about Jesus? They're upset because our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here's the kicker. Why are they sad? Because, listen for this, we had hoped that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. They were sad because the future they imagined was disappearing. The future they had banked on, the future they had lived their lives toward, didn't look like it was going to happen. It had evaporated on a Roman cross. Three years these guys have experienced the rich community of life with Jesus and the band. And in that time, they started to nurse the outlandish hope that he might be the one, the one the whole nation, the one the whole world really had been waiting for. We had hoped that Jesus was the one, they said. They banked their future on him. And now all seemed lost. Oh, sure, the women came back from the tomb all excited, but they weren't getting their hopes up. The future they'd planned seemed gone. The Messiah just wasn't supposed to die. Au contraire, said Jesus. And his tone lifted him, lifted them all by itself. He told these guys about the rusty nails that Chapin preached on last week, that death was a part of the plan from the beginning, that darkness had to become come before the light. You silly fellows, Jesus said. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus was rescuing their future. And they loved it. They when it came time for him to go on ahead, they asked him to stay. And so they must have liked the guy. They just didn't know who he was yet. Would they ever get it? We began with the question, what finally opened our anonymous disciples' eyes to the fact that they had been with Jesus on that walk? So let's get back to that. And as we do, I need to try to save face here. I at least would have recognized my golf buddy, Mark Messervy, if we had run into each other on the first tee of our golf course. I would have done that. But these guys don't catch a clue. We've got Jesus walking with his disciples down a country road. Now, how many times do you imagine they did that in their time together? And yet, they don't recognize him. Then we've got Jesus teaching them about the important parts of Scripture. Another thing he must have done quite a bit in their hearing as they followed him, and they still don't recognize him. So what finally opens their eyes? What's the first T? What's the recognition point? What's the thing that jogs their memory and makes them aware that they've been with Jesus? Well, 
They don't know their walking companion in Jesus, but they know they like him, and they sit down at table with him. And then three companions, at the end of a long day, sit down for a meal. And then Jesus picks up the bread and tears it in parts and says grace and then hands it out to them. And as they're reaching for their bread, as they're doing that very most communal thing possible, the thing we all do a couple or three times a day, as they sat at table eating together with their guest, the scales came off and their mouths drop open. That's our guy. And he was gone. Friends, our anonymous disciples wanted what you and I want. But they didn't know it was right there with them. Didn't know that he was right there with them. Didn't know that Jesus was alive until they saw him in community. This is a church that's been around a while. And this is a church with a future that Jesus will help you secure. Because in our lonely, divided world, Jesus knows that we're the people who gather together around a table and recognize him. Jesus knows that when we gather, where two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst, he says. That when we come together, when we are community, when we do this thing that goes so counter to our culture of loving one another across chasms and divides, of staying with one another even when we disagree, even when we run into obstacles, of committing to one another in covenant, even when we don't actually like one another, but we love one another, when we do all those things, Jesus is securing our future, our purposeful future here on God's Acre, is making a future for us because, like those disciples, we had hoped that he was the one to redeemed, and we were right. Amen? Amen. Friends, will you pray with me? Our God, you are the maker of community in our divided time. You are the one who, who breaks bread and hands it to us and draws us together to a table that's wider and more open than we ever imagined. You are the one who takes the scales off our eyes as we serve one another and listen to one another and grow together. You're the one who shows up when we come together. So open our eyes. Give us yourself in your fullness and so give us a life together and a future with purpose, we pray in Jesus. Amen. And now may the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer, may the blessing of God go with you this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.godsacre.org, or within today's email. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.